Hi, welcome to the 12th House Podcast. I'm Michelle, your co-host and the head witch in charge here at Holisticism. Delighted to have you. Welcome back to the squirrels who have been here before, to our new squirrels. Hi, how's it going? The 12th House Podcast is a little corner of the internet where we bring together creativity, inspiration, intuition, spiritual shit, the metaphysical, the practical, tactical stuff that comes to running a business. And we bring it to you so that you can do your sacred work, so you can self-actualize, so you can be the biggest you you could possibly be. It's really fun. You're going to like it, I think. Anyway, let's get into today's episode. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Wallace. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really excited about today's book because I feel like I've been an advocate for it, a disciple of it. I've been the person screaming from the rooftops, everyone buy this really expensive book. And you got it. And you said you like it. And honestly, that means the world to me. It's as if I wrote the book. That's how like proud I feel that you're enjoying it. This is also something that I feel I was looking for and didn't know it. And then as soon as I asked you and you said it was great, I knew I was going to have it. it took a while to buy it because it's it's very expensive. It's probably one of the most expensive books I've ever bought aside from like college textbooks. Yeah. But it is a book that I'll have for life and probably give to other people as a present as well. It's like a Bible. It is. It is $145, but this book is The Creative Pragmatist and it is gorgeous. And even just the experience of holding it in your hand and opening it up and unpacking it is truly transcendent. And I've explained it and like brought it to so many friends, so many of my creative friends. And the way that I've described it is it's a course on style, but in a book. So instead of taking like a digital course where you would easily pay $300, $500, $1,000 to learn how to like style yourself, it's a beautiful book that's a piece of art and that's also like a reference. It's kind of like an encyclopedia and it's such a good read. It's definitely like a, you could read it in one day in one sitting, but I have all these post-its on my pages that I loved because it just, I want to come back to it over and over again. And I really couldn't stop thinking about the philosophies in this book and the tips in this book, I still am thinking about them. And I, I got this like the first week it came out months ago. This book has definitely changed my life. Yeah, there is before the creative pragmatist and there is after. And I will never think about shopping or buying items in the same way. And honestly, I feel like the thing that I've needed to help me contain and create a rubric around not only my shopping habits, but to bring them under one roof and not be so kind of chaotic and impulsive and thoughtful, but still be able to have fun with it. That is such a great way to describe this book. Like it's a framework and it made me feel so good about getting dressed and about finding my own personal style too. And it's the first book that I've read that has made me say, I want to write a book and I want to write a book like this. Like I want people to have this type of experience when they read the book that I will, if I ever write a book, something like this. So we've been waxing poetic about it, but like, let's get into it. The Creative Pragmatist is by Amy Smilovic, who is the founder at Tibby. And she's a designer and she's just an all around cool broad, I have to say. I've been following her on social media for a while. And she got really big on TikTok. Really, I mean, quote unquote, really big. She she got an audience on TikTok 
at the beginning of the pandemic because she talked about how like she had no idea what they were going to do. She thought the business was going to go under um, and she just felt hopeless. And she jumped on TikTok because I think her kids were on it and just started making videos talking about style and how she thinks about style. And as she began to explain her you know, concepts around style, people started going to her, not just as this designer at Tibby, but, you know, as like a teacher and guide. And she has taken all of her concepts and put them into this book, The Creative Pragmatist, which is basically her spiritual operating system, her meaning making system around style and honestly, like kind of how to be a person and why style matters. I think her background is also so interesting. I listened to a really great interview with her where she talks about working in advertising first, and then she worked for American Express on the brand side. And she was talking about working at the creative agency as an intern. She worked at Ogilvy, which is a really famous creative agency. And she said she was so excited to get the internship and to dress up for work that she would show up in suits all the time. And she would get some flack from other interns who were like, why are you always wearing suits? Like, chill. Mm -hmm. But she would often be the intern pulled into meetings because they were like, well, we're not going to invite the other interns who are not dressing for the part. So it was a affirmation of the importance of how she carried herself and her style in terms of the doors that it could open because she was comfortable in what she was wearing and felt confident. And I just thought that was such a funny tidbit, just imagining her as this young intern just showing up wearing suits every day. Totally. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. I One thing that I like about this book, and we'll get into like the concepts and the philosophy, is that she she doesn't say like you should dress for the job that you want or like that you should pretend to be someone else with what you're wearing. In fact, you can't really know how to style yourself unless you know who you are. And she has a great quote in the book that says, what you've learned about in this book is that none of this is about discovering how to dress professionally for the office or how to get that blend of laid back versus serious that might be perfect for your tech job. It's all about knowing who you are, what you want to convey and how to show that every day in your real life, no matter what your career is, where you live, or most certainly not what year you were born. What we've discussed here transcends all this because whatever career, locale or age group you find yourself in, there is a person there who has their own personal style. Learning how to express that, having the confidence to just be is the goal. And I love that because I really do think that all the everything that we present here in Friday Philosophies, right, is just a lens through which you can hopefully understand yourself better. And why can't style and aesthetics be that too? Like, I think we write it off often as whimsical or flighty or silly, when in reality, like we know that encoded, enclosed cognition exists, how our environment and our clothes like make us feel changes how we think about the world, how we solve problems and how we think about ourselves. And it's not silly. No. And that's something that she embodies so well in her writing and the way she laid this book out, both visually, aesthetically. But these are all just different ways of organizing the chaos that is our lives. And in this sense, can be your wardrobe. And especially when you're in a rut, let's say spiritually, with work, with the direction in your life, clothing feels like the last thing that is going to help you move on from that. But sometimes, to Michelle's point, how you show up changes how you think and how you feel and therefore how you do. She has a great quote to what you just said. 
Here's the reality. Some days are much better than others. Some days you feel like you've just lost yourself. But now when those days happen, it can usually be fixed by a trip to an art museum or gallery or by exercising or a conversation with friends, even by listening to something you wholly disagree with just to gain perspective and fire up your brain a bit. Now, when you build your closet slowly and shop with a purpose, you will find that when you have those days where nothing seems to work, the answer will not be found by just going shopping or jumping online or building a quote unquote new wardrobe for spring. It's always going to come back to just clearing your head and resetting your outlook. And maybe that great new top you saw on the runway, sure. But the point is now a simple top can revive a whole closet because you've done all the hard work in advance knowing who you are. There are so many great quotes in here and there's actually not even that much writing, Mm -hmm. but she loves quotes because they're sprinkled throughout. And one of the exercises at the beginning is to define your adjectives and your adjectives are what define your personal style. And she says, if you don't know your adjectives, no worries. Just think about some quotes that you like. Just write down or find all of the quotes you've saved because quotes that speak to you can tell you a lot about who you are. I loved her page of quotes that she uses often. That was one of my bookmarks. I was like, yeah, I like this. These are, and they're all really good. Yes, she uses that also concept of via negativa, which we've talked about on this podcast of maybe if you don't know how to define yourself by what you want to be, you can at least find the pathway by what you don't want to be. And the very first step, like Wallace said, is figuring out what three adjectives describe you and your sense of style. And then Amy goes on to talk about the the book is called The Creative Pragmatist. So she's created this archetype of a uh, sense of style, sensibility. And it's a, a framework on a spectrum. Creative is one, on one end of the spectrum. Pragmatic is on the other end of the spectrum. The Creative Pragmatist is right in the middle, right? And you might be somewhere else on that, on that, I don't know, on that graph. Wallace, where do you fall? Are you like smack dab in the middle? Are you more pragmatic than creative? What do you think? My instinct is to say somewhere on the middle, leaning towards creative. But you know what? I think that's where I want to be. But I probably dress more pragmatic currently out of habit. But I would like to be more towards the creative direction or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. What about you? I think I'm more creative than pragmatic just because yeah. I wear a lot of frilly things. <laughs> I don't I don't wear a lot of like tailored suits. <laughs> you know? No, no. I think you do lean towards the more creative side for sure. Yes. And wherever you fall on this range is great, is whatever. And we're looking at this whole concept through the creative pragmatist lens. And Amy describes a creative pragmatist as someone who appreciates creativity and beautiful design, but can't compromise or doesn't want to compromise on function, comfort, or ease. Getting dressed should be the easiest thing that we do every day. It shouldn't distract us from our life. And the creative pragmatist's ratio is chill, classic, and modern, or CMC, chill, modern, classic. So those are the three adjectives that describe a creative pragmatist. Do you, I find myself saying that now every single time I get dressed. One item that's chill, one item that's modern, one item that's classic. Have you been using it, Wallace, since you read the book? I switched mine to chill, modern, and creative Mm. because I want to lean more into the creative side. And I think my default is a little bit more chill, modern, classic, which is not bad. Mm -hmm. But I want to increase my creative experimenting while dressing. So I changed mine to chill, modern and creative. Cool. I love. But chill, modern, classic is pretty undeniable. Yeah, totally. And I really like the like grounding of classic because it can be very like basic and vanilla. And I feel like it lets my chill or my modern be more extreme, like get a little bit more weird, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Okay, should we get into some of her frameworks, some of her fundamental ways to think about your wardrobe? Absolutely. So throughout this book, there's tons of pictures and some of what we're going to talk about, it might be hard to visualize. I would say if you can get this book, go in and fractionally buy this book with your friends. Get five friends who can like go in on this with you because it is just an amazing. Um, if you're in LA, you can borrow this book from me if you'd like. You just have to bring it back. Okay. I just think that you need to see the visuals. They're stunning. They're amazing. So we'll go through some of these concepts and yeah, the ones that are the most fun. And then I think that we should talk about how they globally can be applied to not just fashion and not just design, but how we approach any creative pursuit because dressing is just a creative pursuit, right? Amen. There are a bunch of sections in this book. There's the principal section, the closet, proportions, color and print, and then additions, right? And so we're going to talk about the closet. And there are three important constructs in the closet. The first is the wolf, W-O-F, without fail. And the without fail is an item that you're just like, it's a sleigh. It is 100% a sleigh all of the time for me. I love that she uses the word driver to describe the without fail items. She says the hardest working items in your closet should go from play to dinner to work. Not everything should do this. Let's be real. But the ones that do will get you the most mileage. They're the items that never make you angry. You'll never curse at them and regret for the money you spent. When you travel, they're the first items that go in the suitcase. They become your steady dream partner that is ever so malleable, depending on what you pair them with. Love. You know what I really like about this book? I thought that everything had to be a wolf. I thought everything in my closet yeah. had to be something that I was like, I love this and it can do multitasking all the time. It makes me feel amazing. It can be matched with everything in my closet, especially because we've talked about like having a, a capsule wardrobe before. And I really liked the freedom to be like, there are some things that are just like, yeah, they work so well in my body. They make me feel incredible. I always want to reach for them. And it's okay to have other stuff in my closet that's like special occasion and or like not my favorite, but works looks really good with this dress or this pair of pants or, you know, these heels that like really don't go with anything else, but they're just weird and I kind of have to have them. And that speaks to the other part of the wardrobe called have to have. These are items that, to your point, Michelle, don't have to make sense to anyone but you. She also says you may buy a few over 10 to 15 years. And she says they remind her of how much she loves fashion and life for that matter. The way that she described have to haves in the book are like curious jewelry and over a weird over the knee boot, a patterned cardigan, <laughs> a Western skirt, studded denim, just things that you that like aren't necessarily in or out of fashion, aren't necessarily trendy, but kind of reminded me of how someone described their tattoos to me once as just stamps on their like passport of life that don't have to make sense for the rest of your life. They don't have to be like the most important words forever and ever. It's just like, oh yeah, I remember when like that tattoo of a skull and crossbones was like really important to me and what it represents in the era of my life that it brings me back to. And kind of thinking about objects in my closet is like, oh yeah, that was part of that era. Or like, I really like to wear these when I'm feeling in this way. And I, I only feel this way every two or three years, like is okay. I don't have to be everything all at once all the time. Yeah, it's true. This is a very freeing section. 
you never find these items when you're looking for them. You're always going out being like, well, what I really need is black pants. (laughs) And then you happen to find the best studded denim jacket. And you're like, I just can't not buy this because maybe it's a good price. Maybe you're vintage shopping somewhere and you know you'll never see it again. It's always when you're not looking for them too. Oh, totally. And like, there's nothing you're going to wear this to. You're not like, oh yeah, this will totally work for that wedding in six months. You're just like, I don't know. I think I'm going to have to buy new pants that will just even go with this outfit. But like, I need this in my life for whatever reason. And that can also make you feel so frivolous. I think I will speak from the eye. I really like shut myself down and shame myself Mm. when objects in space inspire me. Cause I'm like, oh, I don't want to be materialistic. Like I love that vase, but it doesn't work with our house. So like, I can't really make it Like, I can't really like justify buying it. Same thing with my closet. Oh, I love those shoes, but like, where would I wear them? I have to be practical. And I think that that's, of course, really good to be thoughtful of what you're consuming, but to always shut your creative impulses down and your intuition down, it wears you over time, you know? And I think for me, that's like why it's so hard sometimes to connect with fashion because I've been telling myself no for so long and just opening up to possibility has like totally changed the way that I think about dressing. You just pulled the words right out of my (laughs) head. (laughs) What is the saying? I don't know. Because I really resonate with this. I think as someone who feels generally like I try and live like a minimalist to a degree, but I also love design, art and fashion. I always have and I've always wrestled back and forth with shaming myself over being too materialist. And I think what's so nice and freeing about this is it's in no means are these frameworks promoting excessiveness. They're just giving you a container that can mean that you can have both. You can have balance and you can have restraint, but you can also flex and experiment and to your point, follow your intuition. And I just feel like that's what's so comforting. It's giving you an idea of how to think about these things. So it's not all or nothing like, oh, I just can't shop, period. It's like, well, maybe every once in a while I'm going to have to have this item and it's okay because maybe you have a few items like this over the course of a decade and you hold on to them and they come in and out of what you wear. I love that idea of like a collection of weird things. I have this like one weird puffy see translucent like over shirt thing that I just I'm obsessed with and I love but I never wear it because it's very like I have to be in the mood to wear it but I can't get rid of it and um, I like the idea of like other items in my closet joining it for like yeah, it's okay that they're hanging out there together and they know they're going to get used eventually. And I love also the difference between a have to have and an in and out an I and O um, in and out pieces, she says, are goosebump worthy new pieces that remind you why you love fashion. They play a crucial role in your closet. They make your wolves feel brand new again. They're items that pique your interest. They make us feel present and satisfy our love of fashion and style. But the key is to never overbuy on in and outs. They're not the pieces that we wear every day. They can be really special or part of a trend that may not be around in a couple of years. And that's okay. As long as you haven't invested tons in them or bought tons of them. The thing about in and outs is that if you don't buy smart, they can make your closet feel like chaos. And boy, is that the truth. Mm -hmm. It's like when you're like, wait, I only have patterned items. (laughs) Right. Or like colored jeans. Remember when colored jeans were like a big thing? And instead of just like one pair of, I don't know, like mustard jeans, we had like cranberry and dark blue and light blue and green. It's just like, it's a bit much. We can just, we over-indexed on the colored jeans. 
Definitely. Or even just the trend of all of the different hair accessories and clips right now mm-hmm. are very tempting to me. And I'm like, yeah, I could have a few, but I'm realistically not going to wear most of these. I just mm-hmm. like how they look on other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think there's something nice about having that, like thinking about it as like your one special trend piece. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I have my like one little silly girly clip and it is my special girly clip. And it kind of goes with everything in that way because it's the one that I have. Yeah, I think my a recent purchase where I thought about this a lot and then I found kind of a compromise was I was feeling the urge towards cowboy boots. And I was like, this is a trend that is not going to last. I mean, maybe it'll come back. I think cowboy boots are kind of like a perpetual trend. Like that's true. You can always wear them, but sometimes they're more on, on trend than other times. A hundred percent. I found a used cowboy boot shape, but it's just a black boot. It has the look of a cowboy boot and the way that the heel is shaped. And you're like, there's something familiar about it. And then you make the connection. Nice. But it took me a while to make that decision. And then I was like, only if I find it used at a certain price, will I indulge? And it satisfied the need. It scratched your itch. That's great. There's also something so satisfying about having it in mind, like kind of what you're looking for and knowing that it's something trendy Mm -hmm. and then like finding exactly it and not settling for just like, ugh, I guess this is like fine and the fast fashion version of it, right? And I think that that's where fashion can feel overwhelming is the searching and the finding of the right thing that can feel like exhausting depending on the type of person that you are or like you don't have the time to do it. But Mm -hmm. I think it does pay like pay dividends over time. Absolutely. Okay. I want to talk about one, a ton or none, because I think about this concept a lot just in like life now. So Amy has this concept. That's probably, I feel like it's a fashion concept in general of one, a ton or none. So if you're going to let's, it can apply to anything, but let's like use the example of a necklace. You can either wear one necklace, wear a ton of necklaces, like five, or don't wear any as opposed to wearing like two layered on top of each other. And I think this is just like a design principle in general. There's like the rule of threes. And I remember when I worked for an interior design company, the designers would always say either like leave the shelves empty, like totally empty, put one thing on them, or you need to like really curate because if you don't have enough stuff on there, it's going to look weird. There's also this concept called the power of plenty that happens in merchandising, which is uh, like, let's say uh, you're at a, at a store like The Gap. You don't want to have just five, you know, pairs of pants folded on top of each other. Uh, you either want to have like one pair of pants <laughs> that's laid out because that's going to look really luxury or you want to have like 20 pairs of pants layered on top of each other because that power of plenty, it makes it feel like, oh, there's abundance here and I can like pick up these pants and take them with me and I can buy them. I, I don't need to be like precious about it. And I think that there's something just like secure and satisfying to us when we see a collection of things. It's funny. This was kind of the hardest rule for me to click with at first. And it's because I break it all the time. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't know why I break this rule a lot, but I really do. And a lot of what she says is about where your eye settles. Mm -hmm. And you see this a lot in art as well. Being able to look at, let's say, a monochrome outfit, your eye will look at the entirety of the outfit versus when you have a lot of competing colors, the eye doesn't really know where to settle. Yeah. I also really like this rule for patterns and for colors. Like I love a little pop of color. I have these like amazing orange slides 
mules that I'm obsessed with. And when I bought them, I was like, oh, these are not, these are not like responsible, but I just, I'm obsessed with them. And I found them on sale and I wear them all the time because I, I, Amy has taught me that I can think of color as one. It can be my one pop of color, or I can have a ton of different colors in my outfit. And then it kind of like an orange shoe feels practical, basically, or like, I'm just not, I don't wear them at all. You know, that, that would be the none. And I also think about this, like when it comes to writing and content, giving people one thing like one specific thing to do an action, a ton of actions, like let's say in a newsletter. So let's say I'm writing a newsletter. I give them one action, one link to click on the one we talk about this in copy all the time, like the one big thing, or I give them a ton of links, a ton of things to play with and interact with, or I give them nothing, nothing to respond to, nothing to click on, just something to reflect on. Like I'm just writing them a note. I think that could be a great principle that you take into your content creation or even into like how you're showing up at work. Is there, is there one project I can work on? Are there a ton of projects that I can begin or start? Are there actually like projects that I need to kill in order to get my creative mojo back? I think it's so applicable to so many different disciplines. I'm now thinking when I worked at a creative agency and we would always give our one big idea mm-hmm. that we wanted to win that was out there and crazy, we would give three alternatives, so a ton of alternatives, and then we would give them within that three, usually something we knew that they would like that was somewhere in the middle. And when they would come back to us with what are the other alternatives, we said we would say none. <laughs> That's it. We gave you all of them. Wow. Yeah. And then we would work with them, but they had to choose from like our one big idea or the three. Mm-hmm. And it also reminds me of another rule that Amy loves, which is the rule of three mm-hmm. in outfit building. I always think about this with making salads with my mom. She's always like, you add way too much. <laughs> You only need three things. Yeah. <laughs> She'd always be like, you need something crunchy, something fresh, and something salty. Or like you can switch it up. But other than, let's say, if your base is some kind of leaf, she would say salads are always better when there's just three additional things. And I, for some reason, always tend to add four additional things. So whenever <laughs> I make a salad around her, I'm like, okay, only use three. <laughs> but I think both these rules, I feel like, really speak to each other there. A lot of these rules are in dialogue with one another. And I think she, she loves philosophy as well. Mm -hmm. And so Amy references a lot of like Latin philosophy or quotes that relate to the rule. And she talks about how the rule of three shows up in many different areas and that often every set of three is complete. And she refers to the Latin phrase that I don't know how to say, omne trium perfectum. Sure. That means <laughs> three keeps balance. And in general, she kind of s- says it provides enough information to fully convey an idea, and it rarely provides so much information that it confuses or muddies the intent. You know, as you say that, I am called back to the whole purpose of this book, which is not just like find comfort and joy in dressing and make it something that's easy for you as opposed to stressful, but to communicate who we are and as truthfully as we possibly Mm -hmm. can. And I feel like I've told this story on the podcast before, but 
I had this like big, big idea and probably like 2018, 2019 that I wanted to work with a, a creative director to like help me find my style because I really, I was, it was mm. really important to me. It wasn't, you say, hmm, but it's not good. It was really important to me that when people looked at me, they felt like they knew exactly who I was. And I talked to my therapist about it and she was like, that's a bit psycho. Like you're really trying to control how people see you and you can't, people will see you however they want to see you. It doesn't matter if you dress in the most like perfect way um, to make them feel comfortable or whatever. And I think now the way that I think about style from this book is, yeah, I just want to like be the most authentic version of myself and people can kind of take it or leave it. This isn't a billboard for people to like have a warning of who I am before they talk to me. Rather, my sense of style is almost a reminder to me or an extension of like what's inside of me. And it's not really for anyone else, but me for experiencing, you know? Yeah. And so much of this comes back to what makes you feel connected to yourself and comfortable in your body and therefore comfortable in just your being and who you are and how you show up. Because if we're not feeling comfortable or we're trying to dress for somebody else, we'll inherently give away like parts of ourselves in those interactions and not show up in a way that feels relaxed mm -hmm. and at ease and ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's one of the most important things for me, I think, in my wardrobe is feeling comfortable and then finding a balance of how to show up in a way that feels physically comfortable, but also communicates what I want. And I think exactly to what you said, it's really about finding ways to express what's going on on that given day or week or month or year in our lives that will tell people a little bit about who we are, but ultimately that's not up to us. It's not up. It's not for them, mama. It's for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's all for you. Let's go into our superlative. So what's the one weird thing about the creative pragmatist for you? Maybe like something that you don't vibe with. Is there anything that you didn't like? I guess it's not a super accessible book. Like it's very big and expensive, mm. but it is an investment. So I don't know if that's weird. Maybe like the the one weird thing that's kind of good is that this doesn't talk at all about body shape. It doesn't talk at all about like, here's what's going to be most flattering for you. Here's what proportions you should have. It's these are the proportions of a creative pragmatist, which is kind of like over oversized. There's going to be like some skin that you show sometimes. You're. It's more about balance than anything. It doesn't say anything about like, you're an apple, so you should wear blah, blah, blah. Or like, you're, the, you're petite, so you should wear this or you can't wear this. And I really like that, but I think it's rare in a style book. And I think that some people won't like that because sometimes you want something that's prescriptive. And the truth is like, when you feel good, you look good. I agree with that. Would the creative pragmatist, are they a coffee person or a matcha? Definitely a coffee person because they're classic. That's true. Maybe even an espresso. Maybe an espresso in like a ceramic cup. They're not taking it yeah. to go. They're drinking it at the cafe. Europe style. Exactly. Are they a morning glory or a night owl? I kind of feel like they're a morning glory just because so many creative people are like bubbly at the beginning in the mornings, you know? Mm -hmm. What do you think? I agree. On the P to V scale, Pisces to Virgo, where do you think the creative pragmatist falls? 
pretty Virgo. <laughs> what do you think? They're very organized. Is it a cop out to say Libra because Libra is like about style? Actually, I feel like creative pragmatist is really more Taurus energy to me mm. than like Libra. Libra feels a little like sparkly. And I don't know if the creative pragmatist is necessarily sparkly. No, pragmatic seems correct. Are you an acolyte? Absolutely. I got you to buy this book. <laughs> I know. I was like, I'm, we are proselytizing <laughs> currently. <laughs> Truly. That was the word I was looking for earlier when I said disciple. And what is this? I mean, like, I think that the archetype sun has to be a creative pragmatist, but if we had to give it a moon and a rising, what archetypes would we give it? Mm, definitely moon fashion editor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like maybe a philosopher rising or just like who's someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously. It's like, I don't know, sacred fool rising, something like that. Yeah, it depends on the philosopher. It's true. I actually kind of feel like RuPaul. Like I think RuPaul has like Ooh. so much wisdom and yes. is so thoughtful and also doesn't take himself too seriously. And I love that about him. RuPaul rising. <laughs> maybe we all aspire to have a RuPaul rising. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Okay. There is so, so much more in this book that we did not cover, of course, because it is like a textbook. And if you can borrow it from a friend, if you can fractionally go in on it with friends, or if you can get it, what else can we say but do it? Take the plunge. Also, Amy, if you're listening, can we have you on the podcast? Because we really like you. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another Friday Philosophy episode. We love you so much. And... If you would like to join us for our monthly audio courses, you can subscribe in the show notes. Each month we release a mini audio course where we go deep on a specific topic that you guys have asked about or we've been teaching about in the North Node, our members community. So it's a little window into what we do at Holisticism and all we do, we do for you. So let us know what you want to hear more of. And if you liked this episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify give us five stars thank you uh, we really appreciate your love in advance and thanks for listening we'll see you next week happy friday bye bye the 12th house is produced by yours truly wallace miller blanchard our theme music is made by nathan mckay and our wonderful editing is done by softer sound studios who you can find more information about in our show notes